Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. And now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening to Wine Talk with Stu the Wine Guru. Welcome to Wine Talk for today, Wednesday, January 13th, 2010. It's 7 p.m. Eastern, and I'm your host. Do the Wine Guru, coming to you live from sunny Coral Springs, Florida, as I always do. As you know, I will take your calls anytime during the show at 1-646-381-4860. Or email me your questions at info at stewthewineguru.com or go into my chat room here on the show page and chat with other wine enthusiasts or ask me any questions you like or whatever you want to talk about in the chat room, go for it. I want to say thanks to all the listeners out there for getting the word out about my show. Welcome to all of you listening worldwide. I call that the power of the internet meets the power of the people. If you want to find out more about me, just Google Stu the Wine Guru. You can find the websites, videos, articles, and shows I'm currently part of. Speaking of articles and reviews, I'm writing wine articles and reviews for Yahoo, The Examiner, and Google. So look for those. I've also made a Wine 101 series of videos that can be viewed on both YouTube under Stu the Wine Guru or my website, at www.stewthewineguru.com. So check those out. My latest installment in the Wine 101 series, Wines of Australia. I review Peter Lehman's Clancy's Red Blend, which is outstanding. Great red wine and great value at about All right, let's talk wine. We have got a fantastic show for you tonight. Of course, the number to call in is 1-646-381-4860. Or if you're shy and you prefer the computer, email me your questions at info at Stu the Wine Guru. As always, I've opened, as I mentioned earlier in the show, a chat room for the listeners to go into and chat amongst themselves about wine, ask me questions, or answer the question of the night. And I'll check in to the chat room live periodically during the show. 
Later in the show, my question of the night is, I wish I had a drum roll. Next time I will. What do you remember about your first time trying wine? Okay, you know, go back into the uh, recesses and the memory banks, knock off the cobwebs, and uh, get ready on the phone, get your fingers on the keyboard, and weigh in on that one. We'll talk about some industry updates in my segment called Heard It Through the Grapevine. After that, I'll give you my review of great value-priced wines. When I say value-priced, I always want to say let people know that value price to me is anywhere between, let's say, uh, $10 and $30. Today's wine is a great wine from France and around $30. You'll want to stick around for that. I'll make some red and white wine recommendations in my segment, Stu's Pick of the Week. Also, in my segment, Stu's Restaurant Pick of the Week, I'll be making a restaurant pick for you. So when you travel, I'll have a spot for you to go to that offers great food and great wine as well. So stay tuned for that. First, I have an announcement to make about an upcoming show. As you know, if you've gone on my website or if you've heard me talk on the show before, I've mentioned this. I had started in the music business back in the 90s, and I worked for over a decade in it with Warner Music. So I consider myself a bit of an audiophile when it comes to the music knowledge um, that one would have. Recently, though, I had the pleasure of corresponding with a very influential, and historic music personality. She worked on big albums for musical acts like Nilsson, Elton John, David Bowie, Bob Marley, Robert Palmer, and Ringo Starr. That's just to name a few. She's most well-known, though, for being a companion, an inspiration, and a muse. Uh, and she helped out with the recordings of The Walls and Bridges and rock and roll albums of, yes, John Lennon. Of course, I'm speaking of May Pang. May will be my celebrity guest on January 27th show. So, mark that on your calendar. Don't forget to call in and ask her questions about the music business, her book, Instamatic Karma, which, by the way, is available on Amazon.com, about her time living with John Lennon, uh, her career. I mean, you also, if you want to, you know, think about it. You can ask her whether she prefers a Cabernet or Chardonnay, but you know, we'll get into all of that. All right, now on to my Heard It Through the Grapevine industry update. This article is from Wine Spectator. It's called A Pink Tide. It's by Robert Camuto, and here's an excerpt. Across France these days, it's not difficult to find winemakers suffering from the latest chapter in their country's wine crisis, years of declining domestic consumption 
and now a global recession and a euro so pricey it's killing experts. Excuse me, it's killing exports, not experts. Yet, producers in, in province are experiencing a boom, all thanks to a class of wine that has now often gotten very little respect, rosé. A new study by the Nielsen Company, released by the, the Provence Wine Council, shows a 28% jump in imported rosé sales in the United States in the past year, a category led by France, with the 28% of the world's rosé production, and specifically Provence. The growth in imported rosé sales is nearly eight times faster than the overall growth of wine sales in the U.S., and according to Nielsen, it's part of a trend that's been accelerating for the five years the company has measured rosé consumption. On the domestic side, rosés are down. The growth is specifically uh, in imported rosés, says Danny Brager, vice president of Nielsen's beverage alcohol team. Overall, U.S. wine consumption continues to grow because people see it as an affordable indulgence, says Brager. While some classes of wine are falling, especially wines priced over $20, other varietal niches, such as Malbecs and Rieslings, are growing. Imported rosé is hitting a sweet spot of consumer trends. An increase in drinking moderately priced wines at $10 to $20, wine pairing with lighter world cuisine, and a thirst for dry white light wine. Okay, my thought on that. I agree 1 million percent. I know you've heard me say before, wines that are under the $20 mark during this recession are the wines that people are drinking in great numbers. The people that used to drink you know, $25 and $30 bottle of wines, and they'd spend that on, on average for a wine, will now spend only $15 to $20. But they're still demanding good quality and taste. Uh, you know, the public is getting it. The rosés priced from $10 to $20 are cleaning up in the wine retail atmosphere. They're a great alternative for everyday drinking and light fare wines. You can pick the French like Egigal or the domestic like Mer Blanc and keep it within your price range. Egigal is about a $16 or $17 bottle of rosé, and the Mer Blanc is about $10. Um, all right, the next update is from Wine Spectator as well. It's called Turn, Turn, Turn. U.S. wineries try wine, uh, wind power by Dana Nigro. Here's an excerpt. When planning his new Anaba winery in Sonoma's Petaluna Gap, proprietor John Sweezy had to give very careful consideration to how to situate the tasting room's outdoor space. Strong winds come off the ocean two-thirds of the year, and the hills around this, his site act as a tunnel. On a windy day, it's not fun to be out there he said. Without the shelter of the building and protective glass partitions, if guests step outside, the wind will blow off their wig off. <laughs> Excuse me. The wind will blow their wig off, or at the least, the wine out of their glass. That's exactly what prompted Sweezy to put up a sleek 45-foot-high wind turbine on its 16-acre property in December, making Inaba the first winery in Northern California to do so. He estimates he will save about $1,000 a year on electricity for his tasting room, offices, case storage, and irrigation system. The turbine is connected to the utility grid, so when the wind produces more power than Anaba is using, it's sold to the power company, offsetting the winery's annual bill. The economics worked relatively well, says Sweezy, who named his year-old brand 
after a type of wind. With a federal tax credit and a state rebate covering half of the expense, he expects the Skystream 3.7 turbine, which cost $21,000 with permits and set of fees, to pay for itself in 8 to 12 years. If all goes well, Sweezy hopes to add more turbines along with solar power when he builds a new production facility. Okay, my thoughts on that. I am all for any renewable source of energy that decreases our carbon footprint on this earth. I think that this is a great idea and a long time coming. This marriage of solar, windmill, and wine making it a great marriage of ingenuity and practicality. Remember, if you have any questions, I have answers. So call me at 1-646-381-4860 or, again, get into the chat room like Felix is right now and voice your opinion. Of course, you can always email me your answers, your questions, your requests, your opinions to info at Stu the Wine Guru. I'll get those and I'll read them on the air as quickly as I possibly can. So now let's talk about some great value-priced wines. Today's choice is from the Rhone Valley of France. It's a 2005 La Fiolet Pop Chateau Neuf de Pop. This wine is a well-balanced Chateau de Neuf. It's great red blend of Grenache, Horved, Cinso, and Syrah. Uh, the notes on this are spicy plum flavors. And the average price you'll find this for is about $29, which is, in all honesty, inexpensive for good Chateau de Neuf. So if you go around looking for Chateau Neuf, and you, uh, you're probably going to spend, on average, somewhere around 45 or so and up. But to find something that's actually really good tasting um, and under that, that mark, uh, this is really probably one of the best to do that. And also you'll find something very, very cool about the bottle. What they did was they twisted the bottle a little bit, and they gave it this glazed-on, um, dusty, celery look as if you just took it out of the cellar and the funny thing is when people put this bottle in their hand the tendency is to want to blow off what they think is dust or wipe it off and they they don't it only takes one time to realize that that's actually glazed on the bottle that's the actual look of it so it was a very clever idea marketing wise i have to give them a lot of credit for that on to Stu's pick of the week actually before i do that uh i see felix has put some stuff in here uh you have to agree with that article I've been tasting more and more great rosés from Spain and France every time I go to the store. Okay, well, Felix, you're definitely going to find that. In fact, as I mentioned, the Gigal is only about $17 if you want French rosé. And if you want an inexpensive, basic um, rosé from California, there's the Merlot Blanc, which is about $10. And so you also went on to say in the chat room here um, that the first time I tasted a wine, ah, you're, you're answering my question. <laughs> All right. Well, all right. We'll go to the. I'll go to his answer here. But this is very interesting. Uh, let's see. Felix puts in here that. Um, and let's see. The first time I tasted a wine was a Chardonnay on Thanksgiving Day, way back in the 70s. 
My father traveled to California all the time and was impressed with the wine there. All I remember is how buttery and smooth it was eating with the turkey. Okay, yeah, that would make sense. And then you said, I don't remember the vineyard. I was only 24. Oh, wait a minute. 14 at the time. Now, that doesn't surprise me. Um, I have very close friends of mine uh, whose family is directly from Italy. In fact, uh, they were born in Italy. And when they came over, uh, nine sisters, uh, including my friend, uh, she would drink wine that was made directly from their father, who made wine all the time. And uh, it was just a given that you drank wine. There was no stigma attached to it. So very interesting there, Felix. Okay, on to my pick of the week. Every week I choose a red and white wine that I recommend for the weekend or any occasion. This week's red is a 2004 Veramonti Primus. This is from Chile. And the notes on this are a blackberry and cherry flavor, uh, very smooth tannins. The nose on this is uh, you'll get mint and some tobacco. And the, the beauty of this, you'll find this for about $20. My Through the Wine Guru uh, rating on this is, is a 92. I think this is really an outstanding wine for $20. You want to go out and you want to find a nice blend that you can drink with anything by itself, uh, or you want to just drink it with an, a good... Um, any type of beef dish, but you know, it's really you can go go to town. You got chili, you've got beef, you've got pizza, you got it's very very versatile because of the different grapes that are uh, in the wine. So again, and for twenty bucks, it's a good deal. My white wine pick of the week is a two thousand seven Marcus de Riscal Rueda. This is a Verdejo from Spain. Notes on this are lots of fruit. Very low acidity. Uh, you're going to get it's pretty crisp and light. And you're going to get a little bit of maybe some, believe it or not, a little bit of melon on the nose. And you should be able to find this again. Remember, I talk about the value price range for me. So I went from a $30 Chateau Neuf to a $10 Verdejo. So you can see that I can show you on both ends of the range. Now on to my restaurant pick of the week. Okay, so tonight's restaurant is from Naples, Florida. It's called Little Italy. The address is 2096 or 2096 Tamiami Trail East, Naples, Florida. If you want incredible, authentic Italian cuisine, and you go to Naples, drive directly over to Little Italy. Don't stop. Stay on Tamiami Trail. Keep going east. You'll find it. It's under an overpass. That's the only way to put it. I think the overpass might be 95, 95 or 75. Don't hold me to that. However, uh, just as the name sounds, Little Italy gives you ideas of New York and Little Italy. It is that good. Great eggplant parmesan, chicken dishes, pasta, nice atmosphere. Uh, it's quaint casual, and uh, nice wine list, you definitely do not want to miss the opportunity to try this place. The average entree is between 50, 15, 15, 15, and $20. You want to call them in advance? 
941-774-6060. Tell them to do the Wine Guru sent you over there. And uh, you're in for a great treat. In fact, you look up on the wall, uh, if you're a movie buff, you'll notice that uh, they have a few pictures up there. And one in particular that struck me was of Joe Pesci, who was there with the owners. And he stopped in there and, and took some pictures. And so it wasn't only Italian actors. There was plenty of other people up there. But that struck me because, uh, you know, being from New York, New Jersey, the Northeast in general, you know, we kind of pride ourselves on uh, the ability to detect really good Italian food. Um, and, uh, well, food in general. But Italian, especially because of Little Italy in, in particular. A lot of good pizza places, famous, a lot of good Italian restaurants. So, uh, you know, going in there, I'm very skeptical going anywhere for Italian food because I always think I'm a little, um, I guess I, I'm a little uh, spoiled, if you will. I'm always thinking that, you know, no one can make any as good Italian food as, you know, the Northeast. However, this, on par with some of the best restaurants that I have been to, um, and I can tell you I've been to ones in Toronto, I've been to ones in uh, California, northern and southern. I've been all over. I've been, obviously, to ones in Italy. Uh, but this was just really, really good, authentic Italian cuisine. So that is my suggestion to you. Get to Little Italy if you're in um, Naples, Florida. On to my question of the night. All right, from the top of the show. Question of the night at the top of the show. What do you remember about your first time trying wine? Okay, so we heard, we heard in, uh, from our, uh, our pal Felix right there in, the, uh, in my uh, chat room that he was uh, 14, not 24 at the time, and he tried some Chardonnay that he liked. Uh, that went well with the turkey. Was smooth, buttery. Sounds good. I've got, uh, I'll take your call at one six four six. 381-4860, or for all of you out there that are shy on the phone, don't like to talk, but we'll email their answers. Email them to info at stewthewineguru.com, or as Felix done, has done, get into the chat room. Tell me your story. I want to know. What was the first time? What did it taste like? What was it that you drank? Who are you with? It's almost like the FBI here. Okay. I can see some email answers on this one coming in, so let's see what we got here. And the first one is from Wine is Fine. I like that one. That's a great name. You know, the cool thing is that I'm noticing is that a lot of the people that email me tend to have names related to wine. I don't know why that is the case. It just seems to be the, you know, the situation, but that's good because uh, there's a lot of people out there that like wine. From Sheep's Head Bay, Brooklyn. Oh, right. Hey, Brooklyn is in the house. By the way, just the reason why I said that, if you've listened before, I lived there for a few years, way, way, way back in the 80s. Okay, so Wine is Fine says, great show. I remember as a kid, about seven or eight, my parents, being from Italian lineage, had made wine and served it practically with every meal. If I would have let them, it would have been cornflakes and Chianti instead of milk. A kid... But I remember drinking it as a young, at a young age because everyone in Italy did. No stigma, just expected. I didn't like it at first, 
and grew to enjoy it in my adult years. I will keep listening. Your videos are great, too, Stu. Saw them on your website. Cool stuff. All right. Well, hey, thanks, Wine is Fine, for your email and your compliments. Okay, early childhood memories. That's good. <laughs> that's a little crazy, but, you know, listen, I understand that completely. Um, you know, everybody everybody drinks and tries things at different times in their lives, so no problem there. All right. Okay, on to the next one. It's from Just for Laughs from Paris, France. All right. Paris is in the house. And it says, Stu, great job with the show. I love listening even if it's late for me here in Paris. Okay, yeah, it's got to be, I don't know, something like six hours difference. Seven hours, six hours. I am an American transplant here and love it. My earliest memories were in high school, getting someone older to buy my friends and I Boone's Farm sweet-flavored wine. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, Felix, chime in on this one. Do you remember Boone's Farm being from New Jersey? Uh, I was, it was very cheap and easy to drink. It wasn't until I went to college at Penn State. Hey, Penn State, all right. Back in the early 80s that someone poured me a cab and said, try it. And I said... Uh, <laughs> this is great. I said that the wine has gone bad. It tastes bitter. And then I realized what real wine tastes like. By the way, I've tweeted your show address to all of my Parisian and American friends here in Paris, and they listen too. Well, hey, I want to thank you for that email, just for laughs. And uh, keep the tweeting going and compliment uh, Go White Wines. Uh, you love them. All right. Um, let's see. Last one is from Ichiwine from Kyoto, Japan. And it says, wow, Japan, I'm loving this. We've got everything going on. <laughs> wait, wait, I just want to... <laughs> uh, this is great. Felix goes, ugh. <laughs> Boy, that was bad stuff, Stu. You, you know it. It was horrible. It was, it was sweet flavored wine. For all of you out there who've never maybe tried Boone's Farm... Uh, wines. It was like flavored wine. They had like strawberry. Uh, back me up on this one, Felix. They had strawberry, and I think they had grape. Um, they had like all these different flavors. It was just ridiculous. And it was just you know, like if you had, if you drink a beer and you wanted something different, and you wanted something with a little bit more of a kick because it probably had thirteen or fourteen percent versus your beer back then, which three four percent. It gave you a nice, <laughs> gave you a nice buzz. It was inexpensive and it was quick. And if you wanted something sweet. Instead of something bitter like beer at the time, that's what people drank. Oh, man, that kills me. That brings me back. Okay, so last one is from Ichiwine from Kyoto, Japan. And it says, Stu, you are very knowledgeable about wine, and I am a student here at the university. Okay, Kyoto, must have, Kyoto University. Um, we are trying to learn about wines to try, and you help us very much. My first wine I try is a Chardonnay. It feels just like you. It was much different tasting from sake. Oh, yeah. Chardonnay and sake, most definitely different. Uh, I like it. And then tried, I try red Merlot. Okay, well, yeah, there you go, expanding your palate a little bit. It was very good, too. Thank you. We stay up to listen to you, and we'll continue. Wow, all right. So I, I'm trying to think. i got to look and see what the uh, turnaround time is in Japan. But thanks, Ichi. And uh, konnichiwa. Finally. My thoughts on the subject. Wait, what, what did... Uh-huh. Uh okay, wait a minute. Felix added a little bit more to that. Uh, worst wine I tasted as a kid was Blue Nun. You could taste the... 
You're killing me. You can taste the yeast. <laughs> I don't know if they put yeast in that, but <laughs> Boone's was like soda with alcohol. Yes. Felix, you were right on the money there. Boone's Farm was like soda with alcohol. It was just like grape pop or grape soda, and they added a little alcohol to it. Uh, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm a thousand percent behind you on that one. So let's see what my thoughts on the subject were. My first experience, I will abbreviate the story, but I was at a summer party right after high school. I was 18 and in New York. And in New York, it was 18 to drink. So, you know, you could. I wasn't, uh, wasn't doing anything illegal at the time. Not to say that I didn't earlier, but we won't go into that. I tried it. Let's see. At the party, someone brought Sutter home. I'm sure you can all relate to this. It was White Zinn. And the reason why I tried it was because a very attractive girl at the party offered it to me. And I could not say no. I had found it way, way too sweet. Going back to the same Boone's Farm idea and, uh, and uh, Blue Nun, way too sweet. And I told her I would stick to my beer, you know, thanks anyway. I was a big beer fanatic from 18 to my early 20s. I was always like, I always liked the imports. Like, uh, I, you know, I never cared for domestic beers. It, it wasn't until I was in Northern California when I was like 30. I was offered like a really smooth Cabernet that it all changed. It's amazing what, uh, um, let's see, 12 years time from 18 to 30 to do to you. You know, you change your whole palate. I mean, I swore off wine from, like I said, from 18 probably to, to that, that point. And then this, I'm at a, I was working for Warner Music. I think I may have relayed the story, but I'll make it very short and sweet. I was working for Warner Music. I was out in Northern California, somewhere around San Francisco. It might have been San Rafael, I think it was. And I went out with a prospective client, and I was you know, courting this client because I wanted to get their business. And we were at lunch, and I was buying, and the, um, the prospective client said, hey, you know, why don't we have, you know, we're having some steak here. Why don't I order a Cabernet Sauvignon? I'm like, yeah, oh, all right, whatever. We, you know, when in California, do like the Californians. So he ordered me this cab and you know shame on me for not remembering the first real wine that i experienced you know this many years later but i don't remember it i just remember it was an extremely smooth cabernet and i thought to myself wow okay this is not what wine tastes like to me this is not what i remember it tasting like and even though it didn't it wasn't sweet and even though you know it was um you know not that i preferred sweet but even though it tasted completely different than anything else i had tried um it was you know, world-changing. And thus, there we are from 1995 to now, 15 years later. Amazing, right? Well, let's see. Uh, just checking to see if we have any more emails coming in. I don't see any. Tonight, I'm going to do a 30-minute a show instead of a 45-minute show. Um, but as I mentioned to you, I want to make sure that you have on your calendar that the 27th, January, not to say that you shouldn't listen to the next week's show, which is the 20th, it's going to be a good show, but the 27th, again, my first celebrity guest, I'm going to have on May Pang, um, and if anybody remembers, if you're old enough, or if you are a little bit of a historian with music, or if you were a major Beatles fan and a John Lennon fan, uh, you're definitely going to remember May Pang. May Pang was integral 
integral to um, the some of the best post Beatles music that uh, that John Lennon wrote. In that she was his companion during that time, the Walls and Bridges, and the uh, Rock and Roll album. Not to take anything away from uh, his, you know, his uh, fantasy and you know the other albums that he did post that, you know, right before he died. However, um, those two albums were were great work. He worked with uh, a tremendous amount of uh, other artists. Was inspired to do so uh, through May Pang. Like he worked with uh, David Bowie. He worked with um, worked with um, Eric Clapton. He worked with a, a, a myriad of tremendous artists. Uh, post the Beatles and during this time, which was just so you know, this was during the early '70s. You know, right after the Beatles had split. And uh, May Pang's got a phenomenal story. I mean, she has a great story, and she's been influential to many other artists post that point. Um, you know, you know, after John and Yoko got back together and all, and uh, she she worked in the music industry again after that, and worked with a lot of, like I said, I had mentioned earlier on. You know Robert Palmer and David Bowie and all luminaries of of the music industry. So I am really looking forward to that interview. I think it's going to be fantastic. And uh, let's see. Wow. Okay, Felix, right on, man. Felix just chimed in and said met Maypang years ago here in New Jersey at a, a Beatle fest. Very cool gal. Well, you know what? In my talking with her and um, my uh, correspondence. I find it to be, you know, fascinating and really, really nice. And I think it's going to be a great deal of fun to have everybody call in, chime in, uh, ask their questions. Of course, Felix, I'm telling you, you don't want to, you don't want to miss that. You want to definitely chime in and ask some of your questions if you want. Certainly from uh, the chat room, I'll urge you if you want to put a voice to your uh, your, your chat keyboarding, um, you definitely may want to call in. That might be a show you may want to take the time. Obviously, if you had gone to a Beatles fest, I don't need to say that you're obviously a very big Beatles fan, as I am, very influential. I was a musician back in the 80s. Um, I was a bass player and played out in California. I lived out there for a while and in Southern California, in, in Malibu for a while, in West L.A., and did all the pay-to-play like everybody else did uh, during the late 80s. In fact, I came up doing original... Um, Kind of a classic rock kind of sound. Original, almost like the Wallflowers. If you remember, if anybody remembers the um, uh, Jacob Dylan, Bob Dylan's son, has a group, or had a group, I don't know if they're still playing, I don't think they are, but the Wallflowers, they haven't really recorded much recently. But back in the late, let's say, 94, 95, they had a couple of tunes that were really, really big. And um, that was our sound circa 1988. A little before our time, not too many people were interested. Why? Because a little-known group came up through the clubs called Guns N' Roses, and that was basically it. Everybody wanted to hear that type of music, which I love. In fact, I love Guns N' Roses. I think they're phenomenal. But I remember seeing, if I was playing at, um, you know, um, Madame Wong's on a Friday night and pay-to-play and getting all my friends together, Saturday was Guns N' Roses. Now, I never met them, so I don't profess to know them, 
but I, I love the music. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm especially being an audiophile. Uh, I think it's phenomenal. And uh, well, Nutmeg, uh, Nutmeg came on into the mix here, and she's saying hi to to us, myself and uh, Felix in the chat room. Anyway, so as I was saying, um, musically, it's a very big deal for me to have a chance to talk with someone like May Pang, who has not only um, knows of, but has been involved in some of the albums, uh, helping to create it. You know, so that's uh, it's definitely cool. And, uh, oh, yeah, and uh, well, I also want to say to Nutmeg, who just came into the chat room, cool that you stopped by. I see that uh, Felix is letting you know that, too. Um, well, just so you know what the the uh, question of the night was, Nutmeg, it was what you remember as your first experience in trying wine. So if you remember that, you want to chime in on the uh, either by phone or you want to put it on in the chat room, go ahead. No, no, you, it's okay. You see, you see I missed most of the show. No, no, I'm, we're still talking here. No problem. We got time. You can, uh, you can, if you want to ask some questions, Nutmeg. You can ask some questions. Not a problem. You can ask it in the chat room if you'd like. But the question was of the night: What do you remember as your first experience? Um, Felix chimed in about trying Chardonnay. His dad brought home when he was a teenager. And ah, champagne. All right, all right, all right. So tell me a story here, Nutmeg. Come on, you can't just. Put one word. Tell me about it. So you try champagne. How old were you? Where was it? What happened? I'm going to let her answer in the interim. So, mark on the calendars, January 27th, uh, May Pang. And uh, in addition to that, you can go online to www.stewthewineguru.com. Check out my uh, videos. Also, the articles that I've written for Yahoo, for Google, and The Examiner. Also, you can take a look at some of the, uh, the have a wine library that gives you a grape and varietal that you can check out all the different notes and things about all the different grapes and varietals that exist. And let's see, uh, let's see. <laughs> oh, so in answer to uh, my question from Nutmeg. She said, uh, let's see. She, I asked about the champagne and she said, I remember drinking my mom's cheap champagne when I was, let's see, when I was in high school. Okay, so you have a high school situation as well. Um, and my sister opened the basement door and was like, you're disgusting. I laughed even harder in her face. <laughs> this is a great story. I like this. This is great. Okay. And uh, let's see. And I was drunk as hell and only 17. Hey, listen, everybody. You know what happens. It was like $2 a bottle. Real cheap stuff if you're young. Yep. Well, we all can relate to that. We all had our story here. Uh, <laughs> champagne. Uh, Chardonnay. Let's see. Mine was a uh, white Zinfandel, as I mentioned earlier. So just so you know, Nutmeg, to bring you up to speed. Anyway, so I think we're going to end the show tonight on that note with a few minutes left. Um, I want to thank everyone who listened in, listened in and emailed their questions. As always, if you have any questions about the show, you can email them to info at com. 
You can go to my website as well at www.stewthewineguru.com and click on the link for all of my wine articles, videos, and you can listen to archived wine talk shows at the website. As well, of course, if you want to go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash stewthewineguru, you can listen to them there as well. As I always say, in all of my shows, and to everyone that I speak to when I do wine tastings or when I'm at a party and I'm making a toast, if it's time to pour the wine, it's time for Stew the Wine Guru. Drink up, good night, and good wine. And now. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.